Red Grange joined us immediately after his last collegiate game against Ohio State. Yeah. And you say Shot City. Shot City. Shot City. Coming home again. Quick pitch to Walter. Looking for the record. Cuts back. He's got it. He's out of it at 25. The Bears are who we thought they were. And that's why we took the damn field. Now, if you want to crown them, then crown their ass. You know what they say, that money calling, that money on the phone. Forget it. Nobody's going to get them. Long gone. Devin Hester, you are ridiculous. Back to Bears on Tap, a podcast about the Chicago Bears. You can follow us on Twitter at Bears on Tap or follow on Tap Sportsnet for all of your Chicago sports needs. Um, today is Friday. We have our injury report slash um, slash fan question slash bold prediction slash deep dive on this Carolina Panthers Chicago Bears game. My name's Lucas Perfetti. You could follow me at Lucas Perfetti 46. I'm also joined alongside by my guys, that pod guy, Duke, Duke Coughlin. And Brandon Suarez at beat on 300. Um, you can go ahead and follow all of us. And of course, bears on tap, as I said before, um, gentlemen, it looks like we're in the clear, but we did have our first clinch moment with the Chicago bears. Um, and this whole COVID, the whole vid situation, because someone on the Panthers tested positive and, um, or he's got an illness. that's still kind of up for debate. I know B Don is having trouble deciphering between the two. Allegedly. Uh, Tinfoil hat guy be done. I don't know. I just saw it this morning. So no, we all saw that report, but it's definitely, um, it's something to be aware of. It's something that you hope is not going to affect the status of the game, but you also have to hope that the bears are able to, um, you know, the NFL just makes the safest decision. So the bears don't end up in some type of, some type of Tennessee Titans situation, but gentlemen, how are we doing? Yeah, man, I'm feeling good. Um, it is definitely unfortunate because it feels like it's kind of starting to just hit like every team in the league. Um, we're having the situation with uh, the the Atlanta Falcons right now. I mean, obviously they had a player test positive before they played us a couple weeks ago. So hopefully it's a situation that doesn't end up, uh, you know, having a game get canceled or anything like that. Um, obviously we haven't heard anything in that direction so far, so I'm feeling pretty confident. But uh, yeah, man, um, I. Don't think I can go another Sunday without Bears football. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just one of those things that is the norm this year. Uh, it's just kind of the trend that's happening league wide. I mean, we had a game on Tuesday uh, this week. I honestly was thinking about it earlier. I've watched football seven days in a row. They got a double header of college football going on right now. So, I, from that aspect, I think it's kind of cool. But also, like, we need our players, our organizations, and communities to be safe. So we'll see what happens. Hopefully they can get the game in on Sunday. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm going to assume that they're going to move forward with it. But, I mean, it's just we're seeing more cases. The temperature is dropping. Um, that's something that helps spread shit. I know I'm not a scientist, but realistically, the temperature drops. Usually that's flu season. At least that's how I'm trained to think. So um, wear your mask you know, bring hand sanitizer with you where you go and uh, call it a day. But, you know, we're going to move forward with this podcast like the Bears are going to play because there's really no legitimate threat towards this game. It's just something that was rumored around. So we had to cover it. Um, but 
do go ahead and give them the injury report. All right. So jumping right off the start of the report, we have Dion Bush. He is going to be out this week with a hamstring injury. I believe this is going to be a second game in a row. He's going to be missing. Uh, it's kind of been keeping him hobbled. So uh, we're going to, it's going to be something to pay attention to looking forward. Um, Ted Ginn, Jimmy Graham, Akeem Hicks, Danny T all, uh, all set on Wednesday for, uh, you know, kind of a vet resting day, but they're all full participants. They'll be good to go on Sunday. And that's something um, I think we're going to see all year with them. Yeah. I mean, and it was kind of similar. Uh, I'm going to bring it up for him not being on the injury report this week, but it's kind of similar to uh Cleo Mack kind of being limited the first few weeks of the year, even though we all knew there was every intention they were going to play. Um, and then we got my boy Shrock McManus. Safety. I, I'm so fucking happy with, you own that the, shit, dude. With the, with the hamstring <laughs> injury. Um, he was limited on Wednesday. He was full participant Thursday, Friday. He's listed as questionable, but we're hoping to see our guy out there. Uh, Big old Ciroc boy, that Ciroc. Um, and then you Lee Guitar. smell what Ciroc is cooking. Dude, Lucas said that to me on Twitter the other day, and he was so proud of it. Like, he was, like, dancing in the group chat. You should, you guys should have seen it. But uh, anyway. I was like, you want to heal me? Oh, yeah. You, you, you were definitely, like, glowing. Um, but anyway, Lee Guitar is the Chicago Bears. Brent Urban, he's limited participant with a knee injury this week. Um, he is going to be questionable, hoping that he can play. He was a pretty big impact player for the Tampa Buccaneers. Alex Bars, he had a shoulder injury. He was listed on the report, but he was full participant Thursday and Friday. He's also questionable. There's also a question on whether or not he will be starting the game. There's been rumors about uh, him and Rashawn Coward possibly, uh, you know, taking snaps both at practice. So that's going to be something to pay attention to on Sunday. And then John Jenkins, he uh, is listed on with a thumb injury. Um, it doesn't show any about his, uh, his uh, participation in practice. Yeah, They brought him back from IR. So yeah. they're, they're hoping to get him back, but I don't think it'll happen this week. Yeah, but he is sitting at questionable. So even if he doesn't end up suiting up this week, it's assuming he's going to be full go for next week. Now we get to the Carolina Panthers, Brian Burns, probably like one of the bigger parts of their uh, pass rush. He uh, he's dealing with a concussion injury right now. He did not participate on Wednesday. He's a limited participant on Thursday and full participant on Friday. Um, he has been cleared. He is probably good to go. Um, Yeter gross Matos. I'm, I think I said that right. You got it. Damn close. Yeah, um, he's got an ankle injury. He did not participate um, Wednesday or Thursday. It's looking like he might end up still playing, but um, he was not a participant on thir- on Wednesday or Thursday. Um, Kawan Short, shoulder injury, did not participate on Wednesday, but I'm assuming he's going to be good to go as well. Um, Eli Apple, he was limited participant on Wednesday, full participant rest of the week with a hamstring injury. He's questionable. It's a big piece of secondary as much as I don't like the guy. Uh, Dante Jackson. Um, he has a toe injury. He was limited all week. He's also going to be questionable going into this one. So, um, that's going to be definitely something to pay attention to looking at the secondary Zach Kerr, defensive tackle, limited participant. He will also be questionable. Curtis Samuel. He was also a limited participant all week and he is a questionable. That is going to be a big decision, um, about kind of the passing attack that they're going to have because Curtis Samuel is definitely a part of a three headed monster. They have a wide receiver right now with Robbie Anderson, DJ Moore, and of course, Curtis Samuel, uh, and then Farrell Cooper, he had a neck injury, but he's a full participant. And then, um, Michael Schofield, not entirely sure if he's going to be playing. He's guard. And then Tyler Larson, he was listed with an illness. There's, you know, obviously talks that it could be COVID or whatever, but he did not participate in practice as well. And that is your injury report brought to you by Lucas is a slapdick. 
Well, actually, this slap dick is going to go ahead and also let everybody know that Christian McCaffrey is still on IR. He's not been reactivated. Um, a lot of us were under the assumption that that was going to be happening. We've all been talking about the Mike Davis revenge game um, and all that crazy stuff. Um, but realistically, let's address this right now because we're already in we're already in the flow of Mike Davis. I came out with an article today um, at ONTAP Sportsnet, and realistically, it's just about how we should not be so outraged that we're seeing people from the Chicago Bears go to another team and play well, i.e. Kevin Pierre-Lewis in the first couple of weeks, he was leading the league in tackles and Mike Davis is having a really nice stretch for three days, stuff like that. The reason why I think we should be optimistic about this is because if you don't remember when Ryan Pace first came in, the guys we were cutting were then retired. And if they weren't retired, they were someone like Charles Tillman, who was very close to retirement and went and paired up with his guy, Ron Rivera in Carolina and hung out for a little bit, but was not playing at the hall of fame level that Chicago bears fans were used to. And then you also got Chris Conti, who is the poster child for every fucking stiff arm. When anytime Derrick Henry stiff arms someone ESPN loves to combine it with that Vance McDonald, Chris Conti uh, stiff armed to oblivion. Um, and both those guys actually retired after that. So when you're really looking at things, I, I understand your guttural reaction is like our run game is struggling. So when you see Mike Davis do well, like Ryan Pace is an idiot, but that's just not the reality. We have to look at like everything from a big picture and through a, a different lens. If you look at Mike Davis last year, he had to be cut. We weren't using him. We can't, we, we aren't running the ball well in general. Carolina is able to run the ball. Well, that's just a, a straight fact. Um, but go ahead, Duke. It looks like he had something to interject with. Well, you know, and it's kind of goes with things I've brought up in the past, you know, the past few weeks, man. How can you expect Ryan Pace to keep a player if it doesn't fit his head coach's scheme? If he's not a guy that's working into the rotation, you know, whatever. It's it's kind of similar to say, like, um, you know, do we blame Jerry Angelo for trading Greg Olson or do we unanimously blame a guy like Mike Martz? who wanted to phase a guy like Greg Olson out of the offense. You know what I mean? So it, it's hard to, it, you know, even if Mike Davis looked great in practice and stuff like that, if he's not being utilized, what's the point in keeping him around? You know, it's just kind of one of those things. So yeah, man, I, uh, and I'm, I'm, I've always kind of been a player guy. I like seeing guys go and succeed, man. Whether it's with us, as long as you don't go to green Bay, I, I really don't, I don't mind it, man. Like, even if, even if a guy like Chris Conte, who I absolutely loathed when he left Chicago, dude, if he would have went and played decent with Tampa or somewhere else and found him, niche himself a little career, I'm not going to hold, I'm not going to hate him for the rest of my life. I mean, I'm going to remember him for Randall Cobb. I'll probably hate him for that, but I don't know. I like seeing players succeed. Yeah. I'm a big player guy too. Uh, one of my favorite success big stories. Big time player guy over here. Hey, big time player guy going to be repping players. Got to be a player guy. Fuck these organizations. Now I'm just playing. You can cut that out. You're, I know you're not going to, but one of my, <laughs> one of my, <laughs> one of my most recent um, fit, or I guess you would say favorite like success stories is Cravon LeBlanc and the way he's played so well for the Eagles over the last few years. And I mean, like I said, you know, whether it's the Cubs, the Bears, someone transfers from Notre Dame, someone transfers from NIU. I'm still going to root for that person just because of what they did while they were with my team, whether it was good or bad. Chris Conti, I don't know about all that. That's kind of pushing the, <laughs> pushing the issue. That's a that's an outlier situation. But Chris Conti had me in tears that one night, bro. Was I in yeah. the shower? Was it was it the hot water or was it tears? We'll never know. But 
as far as I guess you would say like Mike Davis, like I'm happy to see that he's doing well, but would I be happy to see that he does well on Sunday? Absolutely not. So like, if you catch my drift, he can play good the 15 other games on the schedule, but let's tone it down and shut him down on Sunday. Yeah, man. Uh, I guess really kind of the big point I wanted to make. I don't know. I just, uh, I see it more with like the death threats. I've never been on board with that kind of like type that's of hate insanity. on a player. Yeah. yeah. And that's or like that, the jersey burns, like the people that burn jerseys for attention on Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. I can think of uh, actually someone in particular with that situation. I hope they deleted their Twitter already. Cause they're garbage, but um, yeah, I don't know, man. I uh, just part of me, like when Conte got a pick six against us, I was like, you know what? That guy probably needs it a lot more than we need this win against the Buccaneers. You know what I mean? For I don't want, sure. I don't want the guy to go jump off fucking cliff. And you know what? Yeah, I'm not going to be sending the guy a Christmas card. I probably wouldn't look at him if I walked down the street and say anything nice. But, man, I don't know, dude. I, he got a lot. He got a lot of flack in Chicago. And that's just, I don't know. An insane uh, anyway. amount. Moving on, any from whatever next, take us. Yeah, I want to. I was gonna say real quick though, if you listen to this podcast and you've listened from day one or any of the content that most of us put out at On Tap, we're very much pro player, pro coach. We have our opinions, and we know the fine line between just like flat out bashing someone and giving somewhat of criticism from our standpoint. No doubt about it. If you're gonna, if you're gonna go. You don't go below the belt. If you're going to go negative, you have to um, have it be well thought out and respect. If you want that kind of coverage, just go to sports mockery or sports on tap. Exactly. (laughs) But let me put a a couple like numbers to what I was talking about before. An average of 35% of the 2015 and 2016 UFAs were not signed to any contract. While from 2017 to 2020, um, the classes averaged only 10%. So a 25% decrease in people that were cut by the bears and then just flat out didn't have a job. Got it from 35 to, uh, to I'm sorry, 35 to 10%. And then you look at teams that signed our free agents from 2015 to 2016, the bears lost about 28% of their UFAs um, to other teams. And from 2017 to 2020, 49% of their UFAs were signed to other teams, a 22% increase. And that doesn't really give like, all the perspective at the end of the day, this is the first time the bears have been eligible for a comp pick was last year. And they should be in, um, they should be geared to, to continue that streak and keep getting comp picks. And that's really what it's all about. You develop players and you look at our depth, you know, numbers 24 through 53, there's a lot more guys that can play than, you know, other rosters, like other rosters, like the Falcons, if they lose a few DBs, they're fucked. Whereas like for us last year, we lost Kevin Pierre Lewis. We lost, um, I'm sorry. We lost, um, Roquan Smith and Danny Trevathan and Kevin Pierre Lewis and Nick Wachowski both stepped in really well. Like, and they both got themselves some contracts and you know, you know what happens then? That means you have guys like Josh Woods and Iggy waiting in the wings to take their spot. And now those two guys contributed to get you another pick. And it's just like, you're recycling. It's just this fucking beautiful circle. And you see the Ravens do it all the time. You see the Patriots do it all the time. You see the Steelers and all the top organizations do that all the time. And we're doing it right now with Barkevious Mingo. He's playing better than he ever has in the NFL. And he's on a minim- minimum deal. Nick Williams was brought in on a minimum deal, got himself two years, $10 million. Like the talent, just because you see other players doing well, 
on other teams doesn't, it's not a slight at Ryan pace. It's, it's actually a really good thing that we have way more talent on this roster than we ever had before. And you have to make tough decisions. The guys that you need to cut aren't that e- like, aren't super easy where it's like, yeah, well, they're going to be retired. That's what I love about you, Lucas. You just fucking knocked it out of the park, dude. Like that is exactly that's like, that's exactly why I'm a Ryan pace guy is this exact type of thing. You know, cop picks like before, like I wanted to interrupt you because you were going on about it, but you're like, I wanted to point out the Patriots, you know, and you were right. You know, Patriots, Steelers, Ravens, that's how they get the, that's how they get continue to build their teams, man. They have deep drafts and where does Ryan pace excel in the draft later rounds? What do you get in a comp like comp picks later, mid to later rounds? So that's exactly what Ryan pace wants to do. It helps him load up, load up on picks. And then that gives him him to trade up, which he likes doing. If you want to disagree with that and you want to disagree with some of his picks, that's a different story. But when you're talking about overall roster turnover, you can't compare the two rosters. You could look at our starting roster in 2015 and even take a lot of our depth and be like, I would rather play with that fucking squad. Like I'd rather play with our B team right now. So you really have to look at it from like an objective lens and just don't be so reactive. Cause I understand like our running game isn't very good. Mike Davis is killing it. It seems pretty easy to be like outraged about it, but it, you don't have to be outraged about everything all the time. That's all I'm saying. Um, but let's move forward with this Panthers game because you know, I swallowed a, or I slopped on Ryan pace enough. So Duke, <laughs> um, I know you wanted to say, you know, Duke, we, we kind of dogged the Carolina Panthers defensive backfield. Um, and while you look at their stats, um, and regular like yardage per game, stuff like that, average yardage per game, they're in the top five as a passing defense, but then you look at their DVO and DVOA and they drop to the middle of the league. Um, if you really look, they do have a couple decent players, no doubt, but, um, they're not like they're, they're the type of team that's playing ball control because they don't they don't have the greatest defense and teams are able to gash them on the ground as well. So if you're able to gash them on the ground, why would you throw the ball? Why would you put the ball in harm's way? You know what I mean? So that is there will be like a discrepancy. But realistically, when you see the Bears play and you see their offense, which, in my opinion, is going to start clicking more than it ever has um, because Nick Foles has had two back to back games against really good defenses. Um, I think we'll see a little bit more continuity this week. Yeah, man. And uh, I guess, I guess if I was going to compare, cause I think we made the comparison with the Panthers and the Colts um, earlier in the week, you know, I, I felt a lot, I felt a lot more scared of like the Colts secondary. Cause they had a guy in like Xavier Woods who has proven to be an all pro. And that's just, that's just something the Panthers don't have. I, I think they're really kind of overachieving, especially in the secondary, you know, I know like advanced metrics, you know, prove kind of prove that. But um, yeah, man, I, I think if uh, I think if we find a way to get the run going, which I know knock on wood, Matt Nagy, but if we find a way to get the run going against this defense, I think there's a there's a pretty realistic chance that uh, we can still put some yards up through the air. You know, it depends how aggressive we want to be on play action on, uh, you know, plays out of the backfield. I know a screenplay sounds terrible, but if you set it up correctly, you know, it's something that can go, especially if you have a secondary like the Panthers who are full of defense defensive backs who aren't, aren't the greatest tacklers. You know what I mean? Like Eli Apple's not trucking anybody. So yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I actually, it's, actually, I want to interject there because when you talk about a screen and we've been talking about how Cole Komet hasn't been used and stuff like that. Um, if anyone knows Matt Nagy and they're listening to this, just get this message to him. Realistically, I feel like right now with how little Cole Komet gets used, we can easily pull off one of those Kansas city, um, Travis Kelsey tight end screens and a, in a pickle 
and fucking get us a nice little chunky yardage. That's all I'm saying. Let's just let's get a little layup for Cole Komet. Um, and realistically, I know Duke's been firing off about the Chicago Bears running game, which he has the right to be upset. I think we all do. Um, but realistically, if you look at our last two opponents, Tampa Bay and Indianapolis, Tampa Bay is number three in defensive DVOA. And um, Indianapolis is number four, while Carolina is number 29. So I'm going to give it one more week. Hopefully Matt Nagy can splash a little bit of water down Duke's pants, cool him off a little bit. I'll wear the fucking visor if he does, man. One more week. I'm going to let it chill one more week. If not, I'm going to start going into attack mode a little bit more. So, yeah, my thing is, is I think the Cole Komet would be a great opportunity for him to get involved with a play like that, because like I've stated several times on this podcast, once he gets the ball, he's very hard to bring down. It's not an easy tackle, especially like Duke said, for a DB in open space. One-on-one DB and Cole Komet, I like my chances 10 times out of 10. Uh, one stat that I did see on the Twitter.com this week about one of their corners, former Eagles corner, Rasul Douglas. So on 182 snaps in coverage, he has 24 targets, 16 catches allowed, 129 yards, zero touchdowns, zero interceptions. And some of the receivers that he's guarded have included but aren't limited to DeAndre Hopkins, Keenan Allen, Calvin Ridley, and Mike Evans. So the kid has definitely came to play. Eagles are probably regretting getting rid of him. But as a whole unit, I just don't think, especially with the way that the Bears attack with the dink and dunk, the short to intermediate routes, Lucas is his uh, favorite play in Madden, the only play that comes up when you press ask, ask Madden or ask the coach, the triple curl with the, with the halfback flaring out in the back. Like, I think this is an opportunity to continue to build on what we saw. Again, it wasn't a full four quarters of football last week, but that's one thing I really want to see this week. I know we're four and one. I know we really don't have too much to complain about, but one thing we have not seen from this bears team is a whistle to whistle dominating victory. And I want to see that this weekend against the Panthers. And I think they have the opportunity to do that. A nice 14 point weed win would feel fantastic. Right. Especially because we already got Jason lock and stocking, barrel fucking picking the Panthers again. He's picked against him every single time. There's actually a hilarious graphic out there now um, where it's just literally a dick and balls drawn around Jason Locken for his face. So uh, with, with the pick. So I think that's absolutely hilarious. If you guys haven't seen it, I'm sure you'll find it somewhere. Um, go ahead, Duke. Oh, I mean, I didn't really have a lot to add. I just know he's a complete jagoff who uh, apparently were trying to jump in my fault. Oh, no, he. Uh, I will. I will now. I mean, he's a guy <laughs> who just apparently wants, you know, he's almost like the opposite of me where I just die on the Bears hill every single week. He just wants to die on like the Bears just failing at any way that he can. And he's just looking like a complete he's he's looking petty. And like, this is not like the area, like a guy that works for CBS to be petty. Like, are you kidding me? You're supposed to be a professional analyst. You're getting paid good money to be that analyst. Like be serious about what you're doing. Don't get pissed off because people call you off for being a jag off on Twitter and decide to pick against the bears every single week because you're getting roasted every week and you want to block everybody. Like so what I, what put your I meat on the table and admit when the bears are good. Damn it. What I said about this is. And I'll ask you guys, Duke, if you were wrong four times out of five at your job, are you going to work tomorrow? Hell no. Lucas, if you made a drink four times out of five wrong, are you you probably won't get fired because I think you got good pull at your job. But think about it. Like if you fucked up four times out of five at your job, you're definitely at least getting sat down in the conversations being had. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they would just probably chalk it up to me being on drugs that day, to be honest. <laughs> um, and be like, Hey, just go home and come back tomorrow. But Jeez. no, realistically, uh, I don't, I'm, I'm a weirdly efficient bartender. They I don't call, know why. They call to the bullpen and bring out the bus boy. Like, all right, Jose, you are now bartending. Dude. I mean, it's kind of a similar situation in my work. I mean, I, I get complaints all the time. Like if I ever miss because all the guys like don't like dealing with any of the other material handlers, but uh, I don't know. Hey, I definitely get bitched up a storm. I know that. I know the first shift supervisor just loves me. If you're listening to this April, I love you. Uh, but um, yeah. Yeah, but to move on to the Bears, um, obviously we talked about Teddy Bridgewater, um, and we 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 gave their defense some respect or their offense some respect, which they do deserve. Um, I think Matt Rule actually runs a really nice system over there that's super quarterback friendly. Um, and Teddy Bridgewater is the the only reason why it scares me a little bit is because Teddy Bridgewater is not the type to do anything stupid. He's not going to turn the ball over. Um, you're going to be up in a second dookie boy. I know you got some stats about Teddy B um, and it's not just his Louisville picture, but realistically um, Teddy Bridgewater is the type of guy that doesn't make mistakes. He's able to extend plays enough. He's mobile enough, but he's not like any type of burner or anything like that, but he can get you a seven yard first down. If you need him to, he could scramble. Definitely got to account for him in that aspect, but that doesn't scare me at all. His rushing ability. It's more so how we've been kind of giving up some dink and dunk stuff. And people have been taking it for a little bit more broken tackles. Um, and that's kind of what worries me about him because he's super efficient at attacking the middle of the field and underneath routes and stuff like that. He's really accurate. He hits guys in stride. And that's really what their bread and butter is, uh, along with trying to pound the rock, which I feel like we are going to come to play. We got one more week till John Jenkins comes back. That will be a whole different look for our rushing defense. Um, and people don't realize like a small name, just like a Kwiatkowski, you know, like we were talking about before, or Kevin Pierre Lewis. John Jenkins is someone that's going to make an impact as soon as he comes back. I do want to make a point before I jump into this uh, shout out to Kevin Pierre Lewis. Cause I, I could tell from his first play on special teams with us that he was going to be an absolute dog. And I love seeing him succeed in the league. Um, but yeah, anyway, man, it, it, if you, if you kind of like, if you forgot, if you didn't you know realize it, Teddy Bridgewater, what was actually quarterback for the Vikings? We did see him quite a bit. Um, he has played five total games. I believe four of them were with the Vikings against the Chicago bears. And, you know, he kind of was exactly what Lucas outlined. I mean, he was definitely not as much of a finished product before he came to the saints, but, um, he was, uh, he was still a very efficient guy. He was a guy who wasn't making a lot of mistakes. He wasn't throwing a lot of touchdowns. He wasn't, you know, killing you or anything like that, but he was a guy who didn't make mistakes. And now where he is with his confidence in Carolina, I think he's more willing to kind of like throw passes downfield. I think he has a lot more confidence in his receivers. I think the Matt rule offense uh, kind of plays a big, a big role in that. I think, uh, you know, very efficient, very uh, deep threat type offense, but yeah, man, his career numbers against the bears, uh, 65.25 completion percentage. 1,066 yards, nine touchdowns, three interceptions, and a career rating of 100.4. And that's in five games. He's also four and one against the Chicago bears. I mean, obviously with the game last year against the saints, that was a blowout. Um, definitely put up some of those touchdown numbers, but it shows that like, he does not make mistakes against this team. You know, he's a guy who shows up every week. He's not going, he might not beat you, but he's definitely not going to let you beat him. You know what I mean? It's one of those things where, uh, and you know, anything can happen with him. He is a little bit, he is a little mobile, but he's never been really considered by anyone who pays attention to shout out Stephen A. Smith to be like a mobile quarterback. He's just, you know, a guy that can move when he needs to. So, uh, yeah, man, he's, 
he's a solid ass quarterback. And I think Carolina is really buying in with him as with the idea that he's going to be a franchise quarterback. I mean, they paid him that money for a reason and he's definitely showing, uh, he's shown against us in the past that he could definitely be a consistent threat. And, uh, I wouldn't really expect anything different on Sunday. So yeah, and another thing that I saw this week, I don't have the exact stat in front of me, but the usage of the Carolina Panthers with wide receiver motion and player motion has a direct correlation to their like big plays. So they have been able to utilize guys like we talked about earlier in the week, like DJ Moore, um, Robbie Anderson, and Curtis Samuel in those situations where, you know, when you run a man, when you run someone in motion, you can already tell if your quarterback hasn't figured out what the coverage is, because if you have a guy trailing, they're clearly in some sort of form of man. But these are three receivers that can beat man coverage because they're shifty at the line. They're quick. They're able to get in and out of their breaks very fastly. So I feel this weekend, a guy like Buster screen is poised for a huge game with how physical he plays, how tight he plays and close to the line. There'll be opportunities for him to make a couple jumps on some routes here and there. But I feel like as far as Teddy Bridgewater goes, like you guys have said, he's not a world beater. He's not the best quarterback in the world, but he definitely knows how to play winning football. He knows how to not turn the ball over. He protects the ball. When Teddy Bridgewater is in the game and that offense is cooking, those are long methodical drives. And I'm not talking about the Louisville picture. Those are long, methodical drives, like eight, like six to no, eight that's, minute that's drives. Their, yeah. their def- Matt Rule knows their defense is not where it needs to be, and that's exactly. his goal is to to pick apart, you know, put that defense on the field and and essentially try to shoot, get in shootouts with teams. Now he's not going to be able to get in the shootouts with the best of them, but if the Bears wanted to get into a shootout with him, their offense is still pretty suspect. So we definitely have to make sure to tighten up on defense. Mike Davis isn't like this. Um, phenomenal superstar. He's, he's a solid player, man. He's a legitimate NFL back and he's a load. He is a, a beat on specialty. He is hundred <laughs> percent. He is a well, load. He's built like a fullback and it has yeah. got to come wrapping up this week. He's got to come wrap up this, this week. take for people that don't understand it. I mean, the only spot for Mike Davis in this offense right now, or where it was before is what we're using Cordero Patterson. So yes, armchair GMs and armchair owners, you are correct. But the realistic thing is, is like Mike Davis would not be getting utilized properly. If he was still on this team, he would literally just be, if you guys play Madden, I don't know if the new Madden still have the feature, but the third down running back, he's like a 98 overall at that. And that's the Panthers know how to pound the rock. So. He can, and he can make really nice catches as well. There's, he's a solid player, but he's not, uh, he doesn't scare that. He does not scare me. And I think the bears are going to find, like, I know he wants this revenge game, but he does not scare me. The bears are going to find a way to, to keep him bottled up. I don't see him having some kind of crazy monster game. Um, and he's not this type of dude that's got breakaway speed either. He's not going to take a, you know, 80 yard tutty to the house. Like he's not that guy. You just got to make sure to come up and gang tackle him. Roquan Smith, um, you know, missed a couple big tackles. That that that. You got to really hit him in the thigh and watch him die. But it's a good sign to see him getting there and he making the right read and being where he's got to be now. Finish the play. That's it. Um, but you know we're 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 work on Smith guys. There's no doubt about it. Um, but let's go ahead and move on to the bold predictions. Uh, me personally, just because um, the running game has been so rough lately, I'm going to go ahead and say David Montgomery gets 125 yards on the ground and a touchdown. 
Uh, I think this is a huge game for huge game for David Montgomery. I think that Matt Nagy, as crazy as it sounds, is actually itching to run the ball finally because he's starting to get those questions again. They're starting to simmer, and realistically, it did align with his game plan to to run to um, you know trend away from the run the last two games, and we did run the ball really efficiently through the first three weeks against poor rushing defenses. So I think we're going to try to get back on t- track with that. I think we're going to see a lot of Cordell Patterson actually out of the backfield as well. For those of you that don't like to hear that. Um, but go ahead, Duke, what's yours. All right. So I've gotten challenged by you guys in the past for not uh, totally putting my meat on the table with this. So I'm just, I'm, I'm even going to call my shot here. I'm going to say third quarter. Eddie Jackson's taking one of the house pick six. Ooh. And you want to know, and you want to know why? Because Teddy Bridgewater is going to get comfortable after the first half. He's going to get comfortable because the Bears are going to let him chunk plays down the field. You know what I mean? Underneath routes, stuff like that. He's going to take a shot. Eddie Jackson's going to read it. And he's going to take it to the house. Tighten up. Cordero Patterson kick return. I think just the way he's just been having so much fun with this season. I know. Again, another one of those things where we we finally saw what was it week you know four or five the real usage of Cordero Patterson out of the backfield. And it's on those little wheel routes because he is an absolute nightmare and an absolute matchup nightmare for those linebackers. But I think from a kick return standpoint, I want the cool little saints like video, the fisheye cam or whatever they had last year. And I want to see him take one of the house. Man, yeah. I, I don't know who was complaining about that, uh, that camera the other day, but that camera is awesome. I love it. It needs to stay. It, um, it's a little jarring at first, but I don't mind it. I don't know. I saw, I saw like a couple of people on Twitter, like kind of going to town about it, but I just, I, I don't like, we saw the first one where it just set up with Cordero returning against the saints. And it was just like the coolest shit ever. Like they did, they did the Chicago skyline right before the kick return. And then they have them just return it for a touchdown on the fisheye view. It was just, it was cool ass TV, man. All right. Well, now that we've pretty much covered everything for you guys with this matchup, we're going to get to our fan questions. Last but not least, um, we're going to, uh, yeah, well, we got five, so I guess we can get to all of them. Um, first one is from our guy, Derek DeBear at Derek underscore duh underscore bear. Derek's actually famous, dude. I don't know if you guys know, but his fucking tweets are always on like good morning football and random shit. So, uh, he's got one of the dopest Jersey collections. If you guys don't know him, he's an awesome bears follow. Uh, he says, what on your, what are your thoughts on Nagy's decision to throw the ball on second and nine with 128 left in the game versus the bucks? A Rob was one and one. And based on the last two years, history hasn't been kind to us with field goals around 40 yards. Was it a meat on the table or was it a meat on the table call or B you're a wanker call? It's definitely a meat on the table. And I love that he included wanker in there, but it's kind of similar to the situation that we talked about earlier in the week with Mike Zimmer and the Vikings. I think you got to play the numbers on that. You got to run the ball, take the couple of yards Ask Cairo Santos which hash or where at on the field he wants that ball, and then you ultimately just kick the field goal and give the ball back to Brady with what I, I, like I said, not a math guy, but from my calculations, we were at about 33 to 36 seconds that he would have had to get get a touchdown. Duke? Yeah, I don't know, man. It's it's always just kind of a damned if you do, damned if you don't kind of situation. Like, I feel like Matt Nagy 
you never really know what he's going to do in, a, in that situation. He's never been consistent about either. He's going to run the ball, like say kind of like uh, the Miami game in 2018, where he probably had an opportunity to get more yards for that field goal that Parky missed. But uh, you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. I mean, it's just one of those situations where like he'll either be overly aggressive or he'll be overly conservative where we're still kind of looking for this creamy wanker middle. You know what I mean? So I guess we're going to, I don't know. I I guess I want to know what the hell Nagy's going to do, because I feel like it's either meat all the way on the table or wanker. You know what I mean? There's just no in between. Yeah. I think it's, um, I think realistically that whole sequence and how a lot of those games went with Cody Parkey and those missed kicks, like even though they, a lot of them didn't last last in losses or um, result in losses. I'm sorry. It, I think it's very clear that Matt Nagy um, isn't super confident in the kicking game. And I think that does weigh into it. Um, but I wouldn't call it a meat on the table call. My thing is in the game, like Tampa Bay, you're pretty much riding the defense. Um, so if you're going to ride the defense and you're going to play, conservative, be consistent with it, run the ball. Like B Don said about 36, 38 seconds left. You know what I mean? Yeah. Tom Brady, we've seen him just rip us up like every team ever apart, even if he's got no timeouts. Um, so, you know, minute and 20, Hey, the bears got it done. We're four and one, but at the end of the day, my personal decision would have been to run the ball. A win's a win. But one thing I do want to say is I know some Cleveland Brown fans and I've seen just some of the banter on Twitter. Those motherfuckers think Cody Parkey is like Adam Vinatieri, bro. It's hilarious. Oh, they'll get their such a sad. Just wait. Just wait. You will see. Eventually, there will be a big point for this Cleveland Browns team who's four and one and actually surprising a lot of a lot of people around the league. Cody Parkey in a big spot. He'll be back on the Today Show before you know it. They're four and one because they're taking the ball out of Baker's hands. And that's exactly why Cleveland will always be a factor of sadness. I mean, that's really, that's what it comes down to. Joe said it best. (laughs) Jarvis Landry and fucking Odell Beckham had back-to-back touchdown passes in weeks. No? Or am I crazy? They got wide receivers. No, no, yeah, they did. They're running some nice little backyard football stuff. They're doing everything they can to make things easy for, for Baker Mayfield. That's really, you can, you can tell they're just running the fuck out of the ball. It's kind of a joke. If it works, it works. They have the best running back tandem for sure. They got two did until Chubb got hurt. Well, yeah, I know. If it um, works, it works, man. That's all I got to say about that. Yeah, yeah. Next up, we got Premier Amp at Premier Amp. Um, first time caller. Will they actually have a true run game this week? Also, when's Komet's breakout game? My guy, um, I think that we're definitely committing to the run this week. I, you know, we covered that a little bit. Um, but when it comes to Cole Komet, I truly, um, you know, Brandon earlier in the show was saying that if you give me Cole Komet one-on-one with any DB, I'll take Cole Komet 10 times out of 10. Well, if it really comes down to it, I prefer Jimmy Graham gets that look and that's not a slight at Cole Komet, but Jimmy Graham's absolutely fucking balling right now. Like I said, I think they need to integrate, integrate him into the offense, but I don't, I don't see a breakout game coming for Cole Komet in 2020, to be honest. He's just being a fat rat because Darnell Mooney's looked better, and that was his guy. Cole Komet's my guy. Um, again, Lucas, you you put the point very perfectly. Like we, you were not as in on Jimmy Graham. Like when I found out, I told you about it. Like I was screaming, lost the vocal cords. I was like, hopefully, we'll actually get some production having that duo at tight end. It's been like eighty. It's been like ninety ten. Comet and the ten is everyone else. You know what I'm saying? So, and the way that he's producing, 
again, still want to see Cole Komet out there and put in that offense one way or another. But can you really complain with Jimmy Graham playing out of his mind? As far as the run game goes, I think it's really going to be dependent on what kind of game the Panthers play. I think we'll kind of play off of them. But I also wouldn't be surprised if the Bears were able to, like Lucas said, get Montgomery over the C-note, get him over 100 yards. Well, yeah, and, uh, you know, that was kind of the point I was making. I think we got a similar question last week about kind of Jimmy Graham and Cole Komet, you know, and you echo it, dude. How can you how can you go away from Jimmy Graham? How can you stop writing things up for Jimmy Graham when he's playing the way he is? Like, this is by far our best production at tight end that we've had in a long time, probably Marty B. Honestly, I, I think he's already shown. I think Graham's already shown more than Trey Burton has. You know what I mean? Like, oh, a hundred fucking percent. That yeah. So I just I think Jimmy just, Graham does things that Trey Burton couldn't even dream of doing, just because of his size and and uh, like leaping ability. Like Trey yeah. Burton is not that guy. Realistically, I'd like to see Cole Komet used a little bit more to stretch the field through the through the inside because that's not Jimmy Graham's forte. You know what I mean? Like Jimmy Graham's definitely a jump ball player. You can give it to him on third down, shit like that. He's got reliable hands, but. Like I said, drop a little screen for the guy. No one's well, expecting this guy to catch the ball at this point. Well, that's, and that's kind of why I don't want to like get away from the fact that Matt Nagy needs to make that happen. You know, I don't, I'm not going to buy into this whole little game flow excuse, you know, that I didn't realize that he only got 15 stamps. Like, bro, you're the head coach. You need to know, you need to make sure that these guys are getting put on the field as much as you quote unquote, want them on the field. So if you don't want Cole Komet on there only 15 times a game, put him in the game plan. It's as simple as that. And, uh, you know, to the other point, I guess I'll be really short with it. Um, until I see us commit to running the ball more than 10 times with David Montgomery, regardless of results, I don't totally buy that. We're going to turn it around. Um, you need, you need to give a you need to feed a guy, even if he's not getting it going right away. You want to know what Dallas does? You know, I'm not comparing Ezekiel Elliott to David Montgomery, but you want to know what Dallas does the best one, like the best passing offense in football. They continue to give Ezekiel the fucking ball and make and have him figure it out. And I think David Montgomery is that type of guy that we can do that. He needs opportunities to do it. Yeah, I mean, at least he's getting looks in the like when they go away from the running game, he is getting looks in the passing game because he's clearly one of our best players on offense and the ball needs to get into his hands at least 18 times a game. All right. Next question. We have a M N. I'm sorry, AM Nation Pod. Um, where do you guys? Where were you guys on Bell? Do you think the Bears should have made a big push? No, absolutely not. I don't think they should have made a big push. I don't know. Has the, have the contract deals come out yet on what Kansas City's given him? Um, I haven't seen numbers, but I mean, it's just very like Golden State Warriors ask of them to do, especially to like Clyde Edwards-Helaire has produced at a relatively good clip. He's catching the ball out of the backfield at a good rate. He's been able to run between the tackles, and the Chiefs have been able to find that running game that they've, you know, they've ran through like a turnstile or revolving door of backs with different, like random sixth round picks trying to find someone that will just stick. And to add a guy like Le'Veon Bell into that offense with a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes that can extend the play, not necessarily make too much happen with his legs, but he can make enough happen to get in space and get Bell involved. If there is like a breakdown on the play, I think it will definitely give him a good opportunity to have that Cam Newton type season where he's on a one-year deal and he can go and find a new deal with a better, we're not a better team, but with a team that has more of a role for him after this. 
I think realistically the the Chiefs really like with what they see in Edwards Hilaire. And this is kind of like a load bearing thing for like, hey, we want to keep these guys legs fresh for the playoffs. I, I see it as a rental as well. Go ahead, Duke. Yeah, well, see, kind of the biggest thing I see with the Chiefs is I think they're starting to realize that obviously with as much money as they spent on offense, their defense is starting to show kind of uh, chinks in the armor. And uh, I don't think the defense really looked all that great at all this year. So I really think they've just kind of accepted the point that, you know, they're just going to continue to have fresh bodies on offense and they want to have as much talent on the field at one time as humanly possible. You know, that's why a guy like Sammy Watkins gets lost in the fact that he's on the Kansas city chiefs. You know, that's a guy who could probably be like a really good receiver, if not a top receiver for some teams in the league, but he's a guy that kind of gets stashed because he's always fresh when he's on the field, you know, and that's, that's kind of something Kansas city does to keep their offense dangerous because I think they've kind of accepted that they can't keep all these defensive pieces together. So they're going to have to win shootout. So it just seems like it's a guy that if they want to give, you know, they're starting running back a series off, it's a guy where he can get plugged in and they're not going to see much of a drop off. Yeah. And don't get me wrong. I think he would be a good fit, but um, with the Chicago bears even, but I just didn't think it was worth making a big push for him. I don't like the distribution of how much David Montgomery is getting the ball. Now, as I said, I think he's one of the most electric players on the field. Um, and, you know, people talk about circumstances with the jets and Le'Veon bell and how that kind of, you know, screwed him over. But I, you know, it's, it's tough for sure. I think Frank Gore and Le'Veon bell are both um, their biggest run this year was 13 yards. I just heard on a, on a podcast, you know, DJ and Bucky Brooks, my guy moved the sticks. Um, but their longest yard for the jets, other than Sam Darnold's like 40 yard scamper was a 13 yard run. So obviously he's not getting much help, but at the end of the day, like, I mean, I, he wouldn't be getting much help with the bears, you know? And it's like, if Dave Montgomery's already on the field, getting reps taken away for guys like fucking, Cordero Patterson, even though I love him as a special teamer, I don't, I don't want David Montgomery to be on the field less to work Le'Veon Bell in. That's all I'm saying. Uh, would he be a great backup plan? Sure. But I don't think he would want to be a backup plan. I don't think it would have materialized at that point, but let's get to the next. His payout in New York worked out to about 20,000 a snap. Not a touch. 20,000 a snap. So his shout out to his agent. Yeah. I mean, he, um, he did really well and, um, you know, it's, a. We'll see if he gets another contract like that, but he pretty much got exactly what the Steelers were going to give him, but he had to sit out a year and become way less productive and go deal with the clown show. So I think he actually got the ultimate L on that deal. Um, the Steelers were going to give him a two year deal worth the franchise tag for two years, but he thought he was going to get a way more his it actually act shout out to his agent because his agent fucked him and told him the market was going to be way better. And he had to sit out a fucking year and do all this shit this, to get though. paid the same amount of money to be on a worse team with a worse offensive line and a fucking dog shit organization for the jets. It says more about their so-called trust in Adam Gase with whatever the hell he's trying to run. Well, Adam Gase was pissed off about it as soon as he got signed. He's like, why are we giving a fucking receiver or a, a running back? $14 million. We don't have an offensive line yet. Like that doesn't make any sense. The only time you make a move like that is when you have everything else in place and you're just like, we need something to make this baby go. But even still, then you could find a fucking guy in the second round. There's always top end running backs in the second round. Um, but move on to the next question. Tommy missile at Tommy missile. When will soldier field have fans back inside of her? Oh, come on, Tommy, you dirty dog inside of her. Um, Will that be Soldier Field downtown or the one in Arlington Heights? No, no, no. They should they should make a petition to put it in Kankakee. 
No doubt about it. No. Um, yeah, but then then the Bears would be playing in Wisconsin. Realistically, as much as I'd <laughs> like to think I have a grasp on what's happening with everything, um, I was very optimistic when the news came out that they were going to talk to uh, Mayor Lightfoot about it. But I would be surprised if um, if we had fans in the stands this year. And I'll say to kind of echo that, just to kind of look at how things have been handled downtown, I really don't. Not not to make it sound like political or anything, because I don't do that, but I just feel like with the way that they have been downtown with all of the big places that you could gather or big gatherings, I would just kind of pocket it and wait until next year. If we get it, it's an absolute blessing, but I just I kind of doubt that with the way things are going, especially, too, in the NFL right now across the league, with the outbreak of cases like we talked about at the beginning of the show, I feel like kind of just keep it to the important and the staple personnel. Yeah. I would honestly say uh, your best bet would be go see them on the road. Possibly if they end up going to a state where fans are allowed outside of that, man, you know, I think B Don kind of nailed it with the way Chicago is kind of dealing with this situation, you know, whether it's right or wrong, it's looking pretty tight, tight to the chest. So I don't, I don't see a realistic way that they're going to end up getting fans. Yeah, Carolina, actually, this is going to be the first game that the Bears play in front of any fans. And they're allowed, I think, 8% capacity or something like that. Or I think the number breaks down to like 8,000 people, whatever it is. Um, they are allowed a very, very small amount of fans. Um, the one thing I will say is that we went to a Chicago Dogs game in Rosemont and they had it figured out. And that's a fucking I mean, realistically, we could probably try out for the Chicago Dogs and make that team. So. If they get it figured out, I feel like the Bears in the city of Chicago could be able to get it figured out. We haven't heard of any mass outbreaks like in between fans that were at games or anything like that. Like we haven't heard of like any super spreader event because I think. No, we definitely haven't because we would have heard about that everywhere. The bells would have been rang and all stadiums would have had to like enforce a no fan policy probably because there hasn't been anything like that. I think I heard of one. Notre Dame had cases and they even brought the fans back after the shutdown, which I did not understand. Yeah, but I thought um, I thought for sure, I think Dallas or one of one of these things had like one outbreak, but then they did all the contract tracing and like looked at everyone that was in their section, like retested them. And I don't think anything came of it. So, um, I mean, I could they figure it out? Yes, but we don't know exactly what they're thinking, um, you know, in the higher ranks of of office in Chicago. I will say if there is a game and it's all affordable, you can count on seeing our ugly asses out there though. We will be there a hundred percent. I don't if Just let me in fucking McCormick lot. I don't even give a shit about going in. All right. Last question. We got Josh <laughs> Barlog at Josh Barlog over under is at 43 and a half. Which are you guys going with as much as I like the under as much as the under is appealing. I feel like the bears might shock us all and put up some points. I'll hang up and listen now. We encourage you to bet responsibly, but I would take the largest chunk of a responsible bet and fucking slam the over because I think we are going to see possibly the Bears put up the highest number that they have all year. I think we can easily get 30 points out of the Bears in this game. And then, you know, the Panthers should be able to to score 14. So I love the over. If you need to tease it a couple points, maybe you do. But I don't see this turning into some like um, 
you know, I don't see this turning into the Giants game or something like that. Like, I think we are starting to see a little bit more continuity in the offense with Nick Foles. Go ahead, Don. Well, and I'll say this. I mean, you should be adding it to your Bears money line pick, Josh. So it's going to be a parlay. And for the fifth time in six weeks, the Bears are underdogs. So there's going to be a little extra juice sprinkled on that parlay. Like Lucas said, you can definitely afford to buy a couple points around a football number, maybe 41 and a half. Just getting a little little into it. But as far as, as that number goes, um, like Lucas said, I think both teams have the opportunity to put up points. And that's like the dangerous thing about Bears over under point totals is like, are we going to get that 1911 game or are we going to get the game that we got in Atlanta? And with the Bears, you just never know. So like Lucas said, you know, he's the type of guy where he either wants it all or he ain't getting none of it. I would just say take Bears money line for the safe pick. There is zero hedging. I just acquired David Montgomery in a trade. I am going to slam his over in yardage and um, his touchdown. Like uh, I'm slamming everything David Montgomery. There's no emotional hedging. I am either fucking all around miserable or I'm a happy, happy dude. Go ahead, Duke. Yeah, I'm out of the loop when it comes to betting, but um, I'll bet twenty bucks that. Oh damn! That, yeah, because Kankakee, uh, they don't yeah. let you gamble over. There. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> man, you caught me. Uh, but I'll bet twenty bucks that Matt Nagy calls timeout in the first quarter. Well, I mean, I'm not going to take that bet because I think you're right. I mean, I actually, uh, I had the game for uh, what's it, whatever, whatever football games on right now or before the Tulane. Uh, whatever, whoever the hell they played in lawsuit SMU. SMU. And they had a little bit of a Vic Fangio situation going towards the end where I was like, are the timeouts going to get used? Like, are we bringing the timeouts to the grave with us? <laughs> that is like a football pandemic right now. Like the coaches don't know what they're doing with the timeouts, but to kind of help Duke out, at least we'll give them, we'll, we'll spit a little game at them. So they need to score 44 points in four quarters. Okay. Yeah, I, I know the over under part of it. I don't know the he- the hedge and all the stuff like that. That's kind of where I get a little lost. Lucas speaking, I, I don't know what exact. I think what is that like? You wouldn't bet. That means you're not saying you would never bet the team that's playing the Bears. I would never do that, anyways. Never. But, that's an emotional yeah. hedge. So it's yeah, like, so. oh, okay. So well, if the Bears lose, at least I'll win some money. No, the Bears are winning. Their money line. I'm slamming money line dogs right now. I mean, the line started at what plus it's three moved a lot. I think it's like almost down to like two or something. They're it's at like almost plus a pick one. Em. No, it was at one last time I checked, but I would not doubt by Sunday. It's a pick em. That's why you got to get your shit in early and the most before the line start to swing. The most important like part about that too, is, is the way that it was worded, at least in the tweet and in the article is Vegas views, the bears as the lions was the exact quote that I saw. It's so it's like, so it's like not only are we getting disrespected from the national media, we're getting disrespected from the blue check marks and the suit guys on Twitter at our own media, and Vegas is disrespecting us. So I think the only person that you can take advantage in that situation is Vegas, and people that have bet the Bears this year have probably made a good amount of money. Yeah, Josh. All right, I got a let me. I got another. I got a little parlay for you. Okay, go ahead. Slam the Bears money line, slam the over at 44. Then I want you to slam the, oh, where are we at? It's 40, what's the, what's the Bears team total? Whatever it is, slam that too. <laughs> Throw that on there. 
He said, you know what, Josh, just put the meat on the table. Yeah. Any and every bet that you see on wherever you bet responsibly at that has a bears in front of it, just sprinkle a little cheese on it. Just dude, I'm I'm telling you, I think I took the Bears minus twelve and a half half alternate line when they were plus three. So I I, I think that the That's Bears a are gonna absolutely point roll. swing, Lucas. That's some meat on the table stuff right there. I think this is the first game, like you said, we need to see a fourteen point victory, like stuff like that. Now don't get me wrong. I get killed every single weekend, so don't actually take my advice. But realistically, I do feel like the Bears are going to win this. This is going to be the first game that it feels like the Bears are in control the whole time. You know, they're going to start out like the Giants game, but they're going to finish it off, too. It goes with everything that we've said so far up to this point, like our major points, like how I said I want to see four quarters of football. We haven't seen that yet, and we're still four and one. Imagine how good this team is going to be when they actually figure it out. Because right now they're they're winning on they're winning on a whim they're winning on a prayer I don't know if you guys have seen the the win there was like a win probability for the four games or at least four of the games this season they're four wins and if you look at like the graph it's literally edged in the direction of our opponent for like 99 percent of the game and then it just dips down to 100 percent for the Bears at the end like we sneak in like a thief in the night and win those games we need to start being more convincing and own that shit like we can't be trying to just win at the end of the game yeah the only thing that scares me about the bears this week is that mina kimes gave us the kiss of death so she's 0 five on the year she picked the bears to win this game and she was just pretty much like sorry bears fan i mean a blind squirrel finds a nut every once in a while let's hope the bears crush that um streak for mina kimes because realistically i just feel and like um picked us to lose though too and he's one and four so that's true. He picks us to lose all the time. So there, there might be a cancel out factor there. That could be a huge, huge difference. Um, but at the end of the day, that's all we got for you guys. I hope you enjoyed the show. Uh, I'm Lucas Perfetti. You could follow me at Lucas Perfetti 46. We also got on beat on 300 Brandon Suarez and that pod guy, Duke, Duke Coughlin. We are bears on tap. Go ahead and follow us at bears on tap or follow on tap Sportsnet for all of your Chicago sports needs. We will be back on Sunday around like five o'clock. As soon as the game is finished, we will be here to give you an instant breakdown and reaction. If you have um, Apple podcasts, please go ahead and give us a rating and review. We appreciate you all and bear down. Bear down. Bear down.